Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley, and I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, you know, and I know that every time we go to any kind of grief and loss events, we hear women talking about the fact that they don't feel like their partners or husbands are grieving. And then we have men who say, wow, I finally got my grief out and I, you know, I've been able to talk about it and but I hadn't before. And there just seems to be some issues around men and grief. So we wanted to talk to a male today about men honoring grief. You want to introduce our guest, Heidi? Sure, I'd love to. Our guest has been on our podcast before and his name is Barry Koch. Barry is the co-founder of TG Beyond, a company that produces virtual memorials. His son Harper was born seriously ill and died at just five months old. Barry serves as co-chair on the communications committee for the Association of Death Education and Counseling. Welcome to our show, Barry. Hey there, Heidi. Hey there, Gloria. What's your thought on men and grief? Men and grief, that's a pretty broad topic. Um, a, a few thoughts come to mind. And, you know, I would say, I'm going to talk about men and women first. Um, I sort of see the world breaking down in a couple of different ways. But one of those, when it comes to grief, is people who are willing and able to address their grief and look at their grief and sit in their grief and potentially resolve their grief, and people who are grief avoidant, and those may be uh, men or women. I think uh, maybe the common experience is that, or the common thinking is that women are more willing and able to engage and to be open to confronting or dealing with their grief and men are more closed. Um, I think somewhat that's a stereotype, but I think somewhat there's some definite truth to that. Um, I would put myself in a category of someone who is willing to uh, engage in their grief. How long has it been since Harper Edward uh, died? He died in 1997. So it's, this is this is 25, 26 years right now. How were you before? Harper's death definitely changed my kind of psychic makeup and my ability to even um, recognize that these things existed, acknowledge them and work with them. So I, I had not had a situation in my life prior that acted as a, a trigger to even experience grief of this magnitude. Um, and I, I'm definitely a different person. And then of course, in the interceding 25 years, doing what I did professionally, working as a volunteer with Harper, Harper um, losing other family members, it's sort of an evolving process. Mm -hmm. So, so Barry, it sounds like you were in touch with your emotions, even when Harper died. Is that a fair statement? I would say in the years after Harper died, I became more in touch with my emotions and better able to identify them, uh, access them, uh, deal with them. But I, I wouldn't characterize in the immediate aftermath. I was a, a bundle of confusion. Well, Barry, you know what I see at the Compassionate Friends, which is an organization, as you know, for people that have lost children, siblings right. and grandchildren, 
when the when the men are with their wives what i see is that they're more in the role of comforting them but when they then go into to workshops where there's only men in there they seem to be able to talk about their own feelings more and they don't feel like they have to be strong and take care of their wives i mean that's just what i see i don't know i'm, I'm generalizing a little bit mm -hmm. i would say two thoughts on that one is that and i don't think my wife uh, her name is phyllis phil i don't think she would object to be sharing this i probably had a more typically feminine response if we're talking stereotypically to harper and his aftermath and working through grief and Phil probably had what would be considered a more male response, a more closed mm -hmm. response, um, mm -hmm. less willing to talk about it publicly or to work through it with others. So we probably had a little bit of a role reversal. You know, a lot of times we, we talk to women and they're saying, how do I get my husbands or my fathers or what, to open up more and to be and to be OK talking about it and showing emotion? Do you have any mm -hmm. advice on how to do that? You know, it's funny, I, I sort of sense as time goes on, um, and this may be the woke culture that some politicians seem to want to get rid of, I find that when it comes to grief, the trend is to people, including men, being more willing and able to express, to talk about it, to explore it, and to work through it. Um, you know, I, I do, I, I haven't done many men's meetings, and I've never done them in the context of grief, but I've done them in the context of other programs. And I have found that um, men, particularly you know, older men, we're talking, let's say, 50 to 80 years old, um, in the company of other men feel less vulnerable and are willing to share things that they might not share in a mixed sex environment. I wanted to talk a little bit about unresolved grief because I think Barry has a kind of amazing program that he helps people set up memorials online that mm -hmm. can put people back in touch with their grief who maybe it's even been a while and especially with these delayed funerals and things during COVID are you seeing that as a way to put people back in touch with their grief who kind of put it on hold yeah I mean the the early days of the pandemic were a bit different than now um so I think um during the early days of the pandemic, people were physically unable to gather. And some people's responses to that were, we will postpone. Uh, some people responded, we will cancel and not do any kind of honoring ceremony, which I, I think a ceremony is really important. Mm -hmm. And then we definitely did find, because um, the memorials we've produced and other virtual memorials enable the incorporation of a lot of media a lot of photos, voice recordings, pre-recorded messages. Um, if people have ever you know, done radio shows or appeared on TV, were able to capture their voice. And what we found was the incorporation of the media itself triggered a lot of memories and recollections and feelings. So, um, and not that, not that media can only be incorporated in a virtual memorial, but for us, that was the default, right? It was the, the the number one way of doing it as opposed to a secondary thing. What if one family member doesn't want to get involved? This is too much opening this up. Do you ever see that where people don't want to approach their grief? In some ways, it's analogous to just family conflict over a funeral or a memorial of any kind. But we definitely have seen places where the whole family or the whole circle of loved ones uh, embraces it. 
um, we have found where some embrace it more than others. So um, a, a family member will decide that they don't want to speak or perhaps don't want to physically be on camera during a, a Zoom interaction. Um, we have managed um, some extreme family conflict where before and after we had to physically prevent uh, family members from being present in a situation because they were somewhat out of control. Um, but I would say, again, it's analogous to family conflict or family harmony that you would have in a live situation with a couple of variations. Do you see family members who don't want to get involved because they don't want to open up? Do you have anybody talk to you later about how it was helpful? Um, we definitely have gotten a lot of um, spontaneous feedback from um, clients that we've had and also people who have attended memorials that it was a very, very positive experience. And um, you know, one, one great example of the, the power of what we did, we did a multi-generational, it was a family from Jamaica. They had probably four or five generations. There were, there were great grandparents involved as well as you know, really small kids, many of whom have never met. And um, there was the elder of the family. He was uh, close to 100 years old. Um, wow. He never could have attended an in-person event. And he had been largely quiet and you know, had some dementia. And at one point during the memorial, we were showing a lot of pictures and family stories. And he came alive and became present and started talking to the, the assemblage about things that happened. I mean, he made an amends, he made an apology for a poor soccer game that he played against Trinidad and Tobago in the 1930s. I mean, <laughs> wow. And without the stimulation of the photos and the conversation mm -hmm. and all the sharing, that might not have happened. So young kids and, and people in their 20s and 30s who may never have met this guy or met him once, or know him as you know, like Papa John, as a, almost a mythological character, had this experience with him. So you have your grief regarding Harper Edward and moved it into kind of a what would you say a life journey? Tell us what are your pivotal times? How are you able to move yourself from confusion to mm -hmm. the clarity of what you're doing now? Um, I would say a variety of things. One is um, I had gotten more involved with hospice care. Um, two is, um, I'm not ashamed to say, I'm a member of Al-Anon. I've had some addictions in my greater family uh, over um, generations. And that has been a clarifying um, program for me to work with. Um, I think I had mentioned too, I had a very... Um, spiritual experience around uh, Harper when uh, when he was in the uh, NICU, the neonatal, neonatal intensive care, and have been pr pursuing some things in the uh, my faith of origin. Can you tell us a little more about what happened? Yeah, and, and I, it's funny, I, I, I shared this rarely, but I have shared it with you guys on the prior mm -hmm. podcast, and I will on this one. I was looking at him, I was with him in the neonatal intensive care unit. He was about three days old. Um, I come from a, I'm Jewish by birth. I came from a very a-religious or non-religious background. Um, and there was a moment where I saw him and I saw in a billionth of a second, 
what I can only describe of as his soul, right? Wow. And I had no, I had no context for that. Um, my, it was not an intellectual thing. It was not a thought thing. It felt much more like a revelatory thing. And um, it was really impactful. Um, I don't know what it meant then. I don't know necessarily what it means now. Um, I don't feel the need to have to understand what it means. Mm -hmm. But that sort of set me off pursuing certain things for the last 25 years. A funeral, a memorial, some type of honoring of the loss is important in the moment. Um, I think my family and I have struck a balance. Um, we've had children after, after Harper. Um, I think we struck a good balance between not dwelling on the loss and becoming hostage to the loss or, or where, the, where the loss is everything, but at the same time, not burying it and not acknowledging it. So personally, I mean, I have a couple of rituals around Harper. It involves his birthday and his death day. And on those days, um, my wife and I and, and our daughter make it a point to honor him in some way. Um, We've kept his ashes in the house. I don't know exactly why, but they've always felt safe and secure there. And on those days, I will take his ashes down and I will hold the urn. This is after everybody goes to bed and I will become very emotional mm -hmm. um, just sitting with his, his urn. Um, you know what I love about this, Barry? It kind of reminds me of a story of a podcast we did with Eric Kippel, who was an NFL quarterback for the Detroit Lions mm -hmm. for 10 years, because what you're doing is similar. He would set, he would go down to his basement as you're holding the urn and crying. He would go down to his basement and set a timer and get really in touch with the fact that his son Jeff had died. And then, and, and then, you know, or light a candle and be there with it. And then have some perimeters around it so it wouldn't be so overwhelming that he couldn't get out, you know, he couldn't stop. So mm -hmm. I love the ritual of taking, you know, Harper's urn, sitting there with it, getting in touch with, you know, your connection with him, the sadness that he's not physically present, et cetera, and having that ritual. Don't you, mom? Especially for a guy. Yeah. I just like that. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, it's so um, it's so impactful to see, you know, guys who get you know, in touch with their feelings. It's uh, very impactful. And, and I think when people do that, they touch so many people in the world because you can actually be there with people because you've been there. And uh, that's a beautiful thing. Talk to us about TG and beyond. What does TG stand for? Give us a little infomercial. <laughs> the infomercial is this. Um, my partner and I, Jason, we started this business. We were going to a funeral convention in Salt Lake City. It was the NFDA convention about four years ago. We needed a name. We said, hey, the great beyond, the green, the green beyond, to go beyond, that's TG Beyond. So we are TG Beyond. We're focused right now. We're doing a really interesting project. We focus on the people who are responsible and their caregivers for the dying. So we say dying is hard on the living. So if you have a child who has died or is dying, a parent, a sibling, uh, a spouse, and you're in the, the responsible seat, that's who we're focused on. So we have identified a path where we say, whether you want to or not, whether you're conscious or not, whether you're intentional or not, there's a path that you're gonna go through when a loved one dies. First is a, the first step is acknowledgement. And acknowledgement can be, 
I know I'm going to die someday, so I'm going to do advanced directives. Or acknowledgement can be, there's a dead body next to me in bed that something has to be done and I might need help. So that's our first step. Second one is you're going to make arrangements. And arrangements can be, again, me sitting with a lawyer and doing advanced directives and setting up a testamentary trust for my family. Or a range can be, I have a dead body in my bed. I need a funeral director at the house. Okay. Our third phase, and again, we didn't invent this. You're just going to go through it, is you're going to honor a life however you and your family want to honor that life. Then the fourth step on this five-step journey is you have to rearrange things, right? And whether you're cleaning out a barn or dealing with probate in New York, God forbid, or whatever it is. And then at some point, you're going to be living your life in whatever way, shape, and form that takes, right? So that's, that's, that's the path, that's the journey. We're actually creating right now, producing an Instagram reality series with a young woman in New York who lost her husband to brain cancer over a two-year period. And we are taking her story and her experience with her husband and her own thoughts and end of life and laying it over this five-step journey. Well, thank you for being on our show today. How do people get a hold of you? Uh, you get a hold of us. I am Barry at tgbeyond.com. We are at, at tgbeyond on Instagram. And um, that's about the best way. All right. Well, thank you, Barry. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing to bring hope to all of those out there that have had a loss. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on this show today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.